0: This week's episode of the Skift Airline Weekly Lounge is brought to you by Blue Sky, a news service from the Pittsburgh International Airport. Visit blueskypit.com and subscribe to get weekly headlines on airport and aviation news, trends, and ideas. That's blueskypit.com. Hello, and welcome to the Skift Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Maduni Christian, editor of Skift Airline Weekly. I'm here with Brian Summers, senior aviation business reporter for Skiff Travel, and we are talking to uh, Andrew Waterson, Executive Vice President and Chief Revenue Officer for Southwest Airlines at the Boyd Group's International Aviation Forecast Summit in Las Vegas. Andrew, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure.
1: I think everyone just calls it the Boyd Conference.
0: They do, I, they do, but we have to be a little formal. We do. Okay. <laughs> have to I have a hard them, time being formal, so please excuse me. I know, me. just give them, but uh, refer to it by its formal name. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last forever about Southwest uh, service to Hawaii, and um, we were talking to Peter Ingram earlier today about uh, intra-i- intra-island service and how Southwest's plan, uh, how, how Southwest is eating into, you know, what has historically, or for the last several years, been uh, sort of a Hawaiian monopoly. Do you have plans to expand your intra-island service, and is, is your intra-island service limited by your the aircraft you fly?
1: No, intra-island service is not uh, constrained by the aircraft we fly. The intra-Hawaii uh, market is larger than the intra-Texas market. Hmm. Uh, and intra-Texas, for a long time, we've flown 737s and, and, and done so quite well. So the size of the market uh, certainly does not uh, uh, prevent us from from serving more. I would say that the, uh, the, the bulk of our inner island development is, is behind us, if you will. And right now, then, we'll focus on kind of maturing what we've already announced and already put out in, in schedules. Uh,
0: within the islands? Within the islands, yes. Okay. And uh, in
1: terms of flying from the West Coast, you fly currently um, from Oakland and San Jose, and we've uh, announced um, uh, from Sacramento as well starting in January. Uh, San Diego, we've announced that we will intend to serve it, but we don't have that scheduled yet. That depends on the max aircraft coming back into service, and uh, if it comes back uh, into service in Q4 this year, which is not unreasonable to, to, uh, to assume, then uh, perhaps we could start flying San Diego, maybe in Q2 or, or during the summer. It all depends on that, that max ramp up. We went ahead with Sacramento because people from Sacramento, our customers there couldn't get to us on Hawaii. People in San Diego, well, they would have preferred nonstop flights, uh, they can connect now via Oakland and San Jose to get to Hawaii, uh, but Sacramento, since we don't fly Sacramento to San Jose and Oakland, there's no way to get there from Sacramento. So uh, we wanted to do that while we could with the extra aircraft time that was freed up uh, recently.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up the max that's the other thing that everyone was talking about um, I know you you no one knows when exactly the, the aircraft will go back into service but uh, can you can you can you tell us a little bit about how uh, how the grounding of that aircraft type has uh, affected Southwest planning
1: in the busiest um, season of the year well it's affected pretty much all year so it was grounded on May th- on March 13th uh, and then we had to uh, progressively remove it out of our, our schedules through the end of this year and actually through, through January 5th of next year. And so as the ungrounding uh, or the grounding kind of unfolded, we didn't know how long it would, uh, uh, it would be grounded. For. And so, as that became clear to be longer and longer, we started pulling the the max out of our schedule. Um, it, in the early days, it was pretty close in, so it was quite disruptive to our customers. But once we realized it's going to be out for quite a while, we pulled it out of four schedules when there were still people booked, but it was uh, enough time and seats to reaccommodate them. Um, and so, it's not just the busy season; it's been through busy and shoulder seasons and low seasons. We've had to pull the aircraft out, and it's um, essentially. Um, uh, made us kind of pull capacity out around our system. It was really based on what was feasible, uh, what kind of got our customers still preserve their ability to get to where they're going. Um, but it wasn't an optimized schedule so there left some kind of holes in our networks and it really did frustrate our expansion in hawaii um, but absent that most of the other cuts were kind of uh, temporary if you will as the, the it was kind of more of a brown out the, the capacity changes were moved around the system depending on which schedule period we were we were adjusting right
2: yeah uh andrew our uh, our listeners may know that 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 i'm live in Los Angeles, and so I follow that market uh, pretty closely. been very bullish on Hawaii, but we noticed that you took out um, some of the LA-Mexico flying um, that you had added uh, a couple years back. Are you seeing a softness overall in, in Mexico that, that led you to do that?
1: No, Mexico um, was I lose track of time, a year and a half, two years ago, there was some security and safety concerns uh, that have since uh, uh, passed, as we've had a good string of, uh, uh, of um, uh, safety down in Mexico beach towns. And we've seen demand come back quite strongly. Our, um, the California to Mexico beaches uh, was something that we just kind of started uh, ramping up there before the MAX grounding. And so it was unfortunate, and that was one of the ones that we kind of pulled out, if you will. And so the LA to um, the Mexico beaches, we should expect to see that come back uh, next year if we have more certainty with the MAX and, and ability to, uh, uh, to fly it.
0: Um. Now, I remember we talking to you a few years ago, and you were very excited about Mexico City. What, what are some of the reasons why Southwest pulled
1: down Mexico City? Well, uh, in the end, we could not make Mexico City workforce profitably. Mm-hmm. We had four slot pairs uh, that we'd gotten, and we ended up returning two of them and uh, leasing out two of them. So we preserved an ability to go back with some level of a, of a small footprint in the future. It is only about 800 something miles from, from Houston Hobby and it's a relevant market to Houston where we have a big customer base. So we expected uh, to do better on that. We had ultimately got good slot times. And so whether it was a timing you know, of the, the market was a little bit tumultuous between the US and Mexico or something about us, we just couldn't make it work. The, um, uh, we had many years of trying different routes and different tactics and ultimately couldn't bring it to profitability. So we, we uh, uh, shut it down and then uh, lease those slots out. And so if the world changes in the future, perhaps we'll go back in, but uh, right now we have too many other uses for our uh, aircraft to kind of keep tolerating the losses at that level. Well, Houston, Mexico City, is that more of a leisure or a business market? We saw yeah. a bit of business, a bit of visiting friends and relatives, mm-hmm. um, and um, and we were disappointed. We tried a lot of different uh, tactics um, to see if we could stimulate demand at the right price point and ultimately yeah. um, uh, could make it work. And in terms of uh, Mexico, when you started service there,
0: when was it again? July of 2014. Um, I think Southwest was expecting point of sale or or generally to be a a U.S. carrier, bringing Americans to beach destinations in Mexico. In the the five years since, since then, has point of sale in Mexico increased? Is there more of a recognition of Southwest as a carrier that can, you know, Bring flows both ways.
1: As far as Mexico goes, not really, because we're serving primary leisure destinations mm-hmm. that are designed to give leisure options to our U.S. customers. There's a couple of points in our network where we do see foreign point of sale. Uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, and Havana, Cuba are the two places we, we sell on the other end of the line, if you will. Uh, but most of it is about bringing Americans on vacation.
2: So you made some uh, changes recently also to the New York area network uh, pulling out of Newark, Um why, why make those decisions? Why pull out of Newark? and is, is just being in LaGuardia enough um, to get the people who need to go to New York to New York?
1: We uh, got access to Newark when um, United and Continental merged. They were they divested uh, some slots and some gates at Newark, and we picked those up for a modest sum. And at the time we'd had you know very little uh, LaGuardia presence. And um, we thought this could be a substitute uh, for New York access for our customers. We are inconsequential as far as a New York carrier, uh, but we are consequential in many cities um, in the eastern part of the United States for whom New York is a good business destination. And uh, unfortunately, those people wanna go to LaGuardia, not Newark. I mean, there's still inbound flights, uh, inbound demand in Newark, but if you look overall industry-wide, the coupon one of those starting their journey in Newark is a very high percentage. I think around 60-something percent of people start in Newark, whereas LaGuardia, it's only like 40-something. So most people are going to LaGuardia. And we found that our customers, despite, you know, our communicating to them that Newark was very convenient if you want to go to lower Manhattan and and all the virtues of that without having to worry about traffic, they want to go to LaGuardia. And so over time, we've been able to cobble together a substantial presence in LaGuardia, at least for us, 37 uh, slot pairs. Um, And with a new terminal there, that's very nice, we'll be able to have um, all 800s, which is a 22% increase in capacity just on a like-for-like basis. And so we're really um, um, pleased with that kind of New York access we have for our customers. And Newark um, just didn't fill the bill for a, a New York access, just like Islip uh, back in the day. We went to Islip, and that, that's not an alternative to New York City either. Uh, when people want to go to LaGuardia, they want to go to LaGuardia.
2: All right, I wanted to ask you a question going back to the Hawaii. Uh, we've asked versions of, uh, of this question in the past. Uh, most people expect when they come back from Hawaii to take a red-eye flight. You've never had them. It doesn't sound like they're in the cards. But, I mean, are you are you, are you at least thinking about it?
1: Uh, we could do red-eye flying if we wanted to. It takes a modest amount of technology work. Um, but that's been, uh, those tech resources have been better um, suited in other projects. But customers prefer daytime flying. So if you expect a red-eye, it usually means you live further east. If you live on the west coast, the preferred time is daytime. And so leaving the west coast uh, sometime in the, you know, you know, Early to mid morning, not before you know eight, maybe seven. You don't want to get too early. You get to Hawaii about midday. You can get to your uh, hotel in time for check-in. You don't have to cool your heels. Uh, you can still go to the beach. You get some beach, t- beach time, so you didn't waste your hotel night, if you will. And in the reverse, the aircraft just turns out of, out of Hawaii and comes back to the mainland. So if you're checking out of your hotel, you check out, you don't have to wait around for a red eye. You, go, you have your breakfast and go straight to the, to the airport and you arrive back in the West Coast at 11 p.m. at night. You go home, go to work the next day. So if you're a West Coast resident, you prefer daytime flying. When you get further east, you have to have a red eye to kind of get home. Um, and really our Hawaii flying is about the West Coast customer right now. The Hawaii of the East Coast is the Caribbean, which we've got covered right now. And Mexico beaches, for more the center of the country. And so we feel this daytime flying is more profitable and more desirable for the customer.
2: Long ago, you told me that the new flights to Hawaii were going to ignite credit card applications, which I understand is very profitable for the airline. Has it worked out the way you hoped it would?
1: Oh, yes. We've been very pleased with the adoption of our wrap rewards program and the credit card. Uh, We were a little bit underpenetrated in California, despite having a very large customer base there. Um, So relative to that customer base, we were underpenetrated, we thought, in the credit card. And we've seen that um, really blossom. So our we don't get the percentages, but we've had a substantial percentage of, of our um, companion pass earn people uh, redeemed to Hawaii. We're super thrilled about that. We have a very high percentage of uh, rapid or redemptions on our flight, which also we're very happy about that. And so that loyalty play that comes as part of Hawaii is um, um, it's panned out just like we liked. And the cash prices uh, are also nice. So all in all, it makes for a profitable venture.
0: Okay, one last question. In your presentation here at the Boyd Conference, um, Earlier today, you, you you said that there's a perception in the western half of the country of Southwest as a business carrier, and the eastern half of the country sees Southwest as a leisure
1: carrier. If you were to overgeneralize, yes, yes.
0: And but you know, you've also uh, you've also un, um, unveiled a bunch of new tools that 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 will make it for the easier for the business traveler to or the corporate travel mm-hmm. manager to book um, book travel. Well. W- w- First of all, really quickly, I know we're, we're pressed for time. Why do you think that there is that perception? A, and B. Um, how do you think swab, SWAB is? It's called right. The new yes. portal. How oh no, that's know? the old portal. But oh, go sorry.
1: Ahead. I'm sorry. What is the new portal? I'll go through it. So Southwest Business is the name of the, the our kind of department, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, uh, starting with your question about the perception, you know. We started in Texas and we grew in the Southwest, like our name implies, and the the big cities were there. We came into the big cities, and so we're in a lot of big city airports. So in the West, this idea of like secondary airports, we're we're in secondary and primary, so we're kind of in, in all of that. We, as we grew and expanded, by the time we rotated back to the East, the, you know, the major airports were full, especially like in a New York, LaGuardia, Washington, Reagan. Uh, it was hard to get into. JFK, this New York, they were all slot controlled. And so we could take people to um, uh, Florida and go on vacation, but we didn't have the business markets for the eastern half of the U.S. So we've added in these slots we talked about earlier to help improve our business relevance, but it's more just a consequence of when we entered these markets over our growth curve and what was available when we got there. Uh, that's kind of what rose, gave rise to that, that perception. Uh, fallacious, but still a uh, uh, perception. Cool. Now then, uh, what we're doing now with Southwest Business is we've we had Swabiz for quite a while. It's a good, small, and medium-sized self-booking tool for business travelers. We've refreshed it, because it got a little long in the tooth. We refreshed it and made some enhancements that have been well-received. We've had a direct connect strategy. So a lot of airlines have talked about direct connect. We did it, and we had a really substantial um, uh, book of business there, which we don't give the exact numbers on, but it's, it's, it's very healthy. And now we're going the opposite of everybody else. Now we're adding indirect to our portfolio because the indirect through travel agencies that support the corporate travel managers. Uh, we were difficult to do business with. We added extra costs uh, and, and such for them. And so, by going in the GDSs, we will remove the economic disincentive of them buying Southwest for their business travel, as well, just to make it easier, just like it is when you're a consumer. So, we think uh, that kind of friction freeze like we want to aim for. Will give us, you know, more of the larger corporate travels today, who, you know, we're underpenetrated in.
0: Great. Well, Andrew, Brian, thank you both for for joining me today and I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: My pleasure. As a loyal subscriber. I look forward to, to reading it and listening to the podcast.